Good morning. Would you please pray with me? Oh, Father, we thank you for the blessed occasion of the gathering of your people and the promise of your presence when we gather in your Son's name. Father, we need you. Would you bless your people? Would you strengthen us? We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm glad to be back with you. I miss you when we're gone. Most of us are here. Well we're, well, we're here for a variety of reasons, but really two preeminent ones. Sin and Jesus. Right? And beloved brothers and sisters, I need to talk to you about sin this morning. It's unpleasant. It's tough. But I believe in the sovereignty of God. And if I don't fall dead preaching this morning, then it's what God has for us today. So I ask for your close attention. I ask for your prayers. I I love you. In his epistle to the Romans, the great apostle Paul writes, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans 5, verse 12. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, he writes, In Adam all die. Well, we know what Paul is writing about, don't we? He's writing about the fall of humanity when mankind, woman and man, broke the commandment of God by eating of the forbidden fruit. And listen, Paul is teaching that their sin didn't just affect them. They weren't the only ones who died, but death passed upon all men. And then he notes... All have sinned. So think about this. You see, the hereditary passing of the sin nature from Adam and Eve to Cain and Seth and their sons and their daughters all the way down to you and to me, it isn't just an invisible theoretical proposition. No. It's a concrete fact proven every day. As men and women and boys and girls sin against the God who made them. It's the most demonstrable fact in the world. Evil is here, friend. Sin is here. And please understand this morning, listen. Listen to me, please. If you die without Christ and suffer the eternal wrath of Almighty God, it will not be because of Adam's sin. It will be because of your own sin. All have sinned. And that all includes you. And that all includes me. Sin is in this world because humanity is in this world. 
Sin is a human invention. It's here because of us. We are the ones who spoiled this pristine planet. We are. Father Adam and Mother Eve and every single one of us since then, save one. The Bible says God made man upright, but they, that is mankind, have sought out many inventions. Ecclesiastes 7.29 Beloved, listen. This sin, this sin that came about by the choice of man is widespread. Yea, universal. Sin is responsible for all the sadness and the heartache in this world. Sin is the cause of all lying and cheating and stealing and adultery and drunkenness and malice. Sin. Sin is the reason for marital difficulties and strife and divorce and broken homes. Sin. Sin is the source of wars and death and hunger and ungodliness. And surely we have American sin, don't we? We see it all the time. You know, American sin. But sin knows no nationality. It's a universal product. Peculiar to no particular nation. The white man sins. The black man sins. The brown man sins. The yellow man's sins. And all their women sin too. There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Romans 3, 10 through 12. The damage, the horrific damage that sin hath wrought upon our race, the human race, it's evident everywhere. Friend, it's evident everywhere. If you have eyes to see, Deep and ugly marks all over this globe where warring civilizations have built monuments to depravity. Killing fields. Mass graves. Concentration camps. And shrines to Satan like those incinerators behind women's clinics. The rich oppress the poor. And the poor oppress the poorer. And people whose DNA is almost identical hate each other. And kill and abuse and rape and mutilate and torture them. You you should read sometimes. You should read sometimes about the Japanese treatment of the Chinese in World War II. 
on this beautiful planet, there should be no famine. But every year, every year, untold numbers of God's image bearers starve to death. While others throw food away that is spoiled because there weren't enough mouths to eat it. And why? Do you know why? Sin. Powerful men lust after attractive women. And unprincipled women seduce foolish men. And when their sensual appetites of triumph and their moral and spiritual faculties have become corrupted and their hearts, minds, wills, and affections have been alienated from God, they become so impious, inhuman, debauched, diabolical, that they become caricatures of humanity. Caricatures. Are they even human? Like Johnny Depp and Amber Heard? Rich and depraved and debauched and disgusting, disturbing and doomed and damned. The hardness and obduracy of human hearts keeps them from responding to the tender pleadings of the Savior to this world to turn away from sin. Turn away and flee to the cross where there's mercy, forgiveness, restoration, and healing. I can't hear. I can't hear. Beloved, listen. Sin is killing this world. And as the mighty Puritan John Owen has said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Christian, listen. We must be killing sin or sin will be killing us. The Greek word translated sin in the New Testament is hamartia. You've heard of hamartiology, the study of sin. Hamartia. And as you probably already know, it means to miss the mark, to err, to wander from the path of uprightness and honor, to do wrong or to go wrong, to wander from the way of God. The beloved apostle writes of hamartia, of sin. All unrighteousness is hamartia, sin. All unrighteousness is sin. 1 John 5, 17. Listen, sin is missing the mark. Stepping over the line. Transgressing the righteous law. Sin is failing to hear or hearing amiss. Sin is disobedience to the divine word. Failing to listen when God is speaking. And friend, God is speaking now. Sin is hearing but refusing to heed. 
Sin is turning back to old ways, sinful ways. They are turned back to the iniquity of their forefathers, which refused to hear my words. And they went after other gods to serve them. Jeremiah 11, verse 10. Sin is to hold the law of God in contempt. Listen to me. Sin is to hold the commandments of God in contempt. Listen, it is sin to say, I know what God wants. And I know what I want. And I'm going to do what I want. Because I don't care what God wants. Beloved, the mind that reasons such is under the spell of Satan. The mind that reasons such is a sin-snared mind. Oh God, God, help us. Give us sound minds. Minds that fear and love and reverence you. Oh God, give us sound minds. Christian, Christian, listen, if you're here today and you're thinking about sinning, don't do it. Don't do it. It might kill you. It might kill you. Bill, years ago I wrote a song and some of the lyrics were, why would a free man play with a chain? Friend, I'm sure I don't know. Why would a burned man dance near a flame? Friend, I really don't know. I see this happening all the time. And it's a mystery to me. Why would you chase after slavery when you've already been freed? Well, friends, beloved, listen. I know, you know, humans sin. And Christian humans sin. Sin is against nature. God did not make us sinners. God made man upright, but he sought out many devices. So there's a sense in which sin is unnatural to us. It's not the way God made us. But listen, there's also a sense in which sin is the most natural thing in the world for us. Isn't there? When Adam sinned, death passed upon all. Adam and Eve's fallen nature passed upon their children. And if you have any doubt, listen, if you have any doubt that their post fall nature was sinful well that doubt's removed pretty quick just a couple of pages later Genesis 4 8 removes all doubt for there we see fratricide the first murder brother killing brother Cain violently murdering Abel Not a small sin, friend. No, no. Bloody murder. And what was most 
unnatural. Sin now seems the norm. Now it seems natural. Everybody's doing it. What's under the curve? What's under the curve? What's normal human behavior? Friends, listen, much of what sociologists will tell us is normal human behavior, God calls sin. Missing the mark. And who's right? God or the sociologists? Well, friend, we had better agree with God. We had better agree with God. Do you understand that? Do you understand that agreeing with God is the essence of repentance? It's the very essence of repentance. The Greek word translated repentance is metanoia. And it literally means a change of mind. Meta, change, noia, mind. That's repentance. That's biblical Christian repentance. And the mind change in view in Christian repentance is that change that says, God's mind is right. Not mine. Not mine. He's right. He's right. Whatever He says is right. What God thinks takes priority, not what I think. Christian repentance rejects the old mindset and takes on the mind of Christ. You know that that mindset that says, not my will, but thine be done? Luke twenty-two forty-two. 42. Friend, have you repented? Have you changed your mind? Have you agreed with God that what He says is right? What He says is right is right. And what He says is wrong is wrong. How do you know? Because God said so. When I was a boy, I listened to the radio a lot. And there was a very popular song at the time that had this chorus. If love in you is wrong, I don't want to be right. You know it? If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. It's a catchy tune. And the song will stick in your mind with its deceptive, satanic message. The song's about an adulterous love affair told from the point of view of either the mistress or the cheating spouse, depending on the gender of whoever's singing the song. And regardless... Both parties expressed their desire to maintain the adultery while at the same time acknowledging that the relationship is wrong according to conventional Christian moral standards. 
Beloved, listen. That song, that wicked song, is the very definition of non-repentance. It's saying, my mind, not God's. My way, not God's way. Me, me, me. Autonomy. It's saying, I am my God. I will decide, not Jehovah. I want to ask you a question. Could a Christian, could a Christian effectively say to God, I don't care what you say. I'm going to go my way. Could a Christian say that? Well, I don't know. I don't know. But if a Christian can say that, (laughs) that would be the most dangerous place or position that I can imagine. Can you imagine being the child of your father and sticking your hand in his face saying, I don't care what you think. I'm doing this. Mike, can you imagine being a little boy and telling your daddy that? What would your father say? What would your father do? Well, multiply that by a trillion trillion. What will Jehovah, the adoptive father of the Christian saints, do to the one who dishonors his son by sin and unheeding rebellion? I don't know. I don't know. That's a scary, scary place to be. God is patient. God is merciful. God is long-suffering. But God is jealous. And God is righteous. And His patience has an end. He will not always strive with mankind. The beloved apostle writes, if anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that he should pray about that. 1 John 1, or I'm sorry, 1 John 5, verse 16. And that's the New International Version. Now, thanks, listen, that is an obscure and interesting verse of Scripture. And I hope that you can see that it is talking specifically about Christian sin. Did you see that? The one sinning here is a brother. Did you see that? And the text is teaching that some sin that a Christian commits can lead to death. 
And the death in view here seems to be physical death, potentially implying that God will not allow this. He will kill the Christian sinner rather than let him dishonor his son by continuing in his sin. That's what it seems to imply. John's teaching is that not all Christian sin is of that kind. Some Christian sin does not lead to death. And such sin should be prayed about. If you see it in your brother, you should pray that it would stop. That it would be forgiven. That true and full repentance would overcome it. Pray about it. But of this other sin that leads to death, John says, I'm not saying that you should pray about that. As I said, this is an obscure and difficult passage of Scripture, and I'm not sure I understand it. But it seems to imply that if you are praying for this one that God is killing with death, you might be aligning yourself with the sinner against God. And the apostle seems to be advising against that. So I say again, I am not sure that I fully understand this text. But one thing I'm sure of, listen, one thing I am sure of is that the Christian who is persisting in known sin is in a hell of a dangerous place. I also believe the text indicates that God does not abandon His children to their sin. If one is truly His child and he persists in flagrant sin, God may well kill him. And if he persists, listen, and if he persists and nothing happens, that is strong circumstantial evidence that the sinner is not God's child. For the Scripture teaches unequivocally, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if you are without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, you are bastards and not sons. Hebrews 12, 6 through 8. Friend, if you claim to be a Christian and you can, quote, get away with it, with flagrant sin, if you can get away with it, the Bible teaches that your claim is invalid and that you are not a true son. You are a bastard. King James Version. Not cussing, just quoting the Bible. Brother, sister, listen, Christian, don't ever put yourself in this place. Just, just don't do it. I pray you never will. I pray I never will. But let me ask you something. Could you? Could you? Could you seemingly lose your mind? 
and commit gross, flagrant, vile, repulsive sin? Oh, oh, be careful. Be careful how you answer that. We've been taught all our lives to be proud. Have some self-respect. And pride wants to say no. There, there are just some things I, I couldn't stoop to. There are some things that are just beneath me. Oh, be careful. Oh, be careful. The beloved apostle writing to er, the early saints said this. This then is the message which we have heard of him, of Jesus. And declare unto you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we haven't sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word's not in us. 1 John 1, 5-10. Beloved, listen, to me this is a terrifying and delightful text. Terrifying because it's so black and white. There's no gray here. Just black and white. In or out. And delightful. A text full of delight for the same reason. For the very same reason. You can side with the dark or you can side with the light. You can get in or you can be out. And listen, the one who is in, this is, this is the beloved Apostle John, the one who is in is the one who has acknowledged that he has sinned. The one who is in is the one who acknowledges that he still sins sometimes. The one who is in is the one who confesses his sins and pleads for forgiveness through the blood of Jesus, the Christ. The one who is out is the one who persists in sin. The one who is out is the one who walks in darkness, avoiding the light. The one who is out alienates himself from those who walk in the light. So there is no fellowship between them. Why? Because they're not true fellows. One is in. And one is out. One is a son of darkness. And the other is a son of light. One is a son of God. And the other is of his father, the devil. Beloved, this isn't me. It's in me. 
Don't get mad at me. I'm just paraphrasing black and white John. And there's no gray in the text. None at all. It's just black and white. Dark or light. Bill, I wrote another song several years ago. And the lyric goes like this. When will I ever learn? Don't flirt with sin. She grabbed and threw me in the mud again. I don't know where to go to get clean from this. I'll run back to my father and I'll confess. And I'll run back, run back, run back to you. I'll run back, run back, facing the truth. Run back, run back, run back to you. I'm going to run back to you. I'm going to run back to you. Friend, the, the Apostles' text here is delightful because it affirms that Jesus is a friend for sinners, for confessing, repenting sinners. So listen, if there's a take-home message, I used to have a professor, he would say, the take-home message is, and you better write that down, because it would be on the test. Friend, if there's a take-home message, here it is. We must be perpetually repenting. We are being ultimately healed. But friend, there's still some bad blood in our veins. We are being healed, but there is still some bad blood in our veins. And we often think wrongly. And this is why it's so important, friend, listen, this is why it's so important that we stay in our Bibles so that we are constantly reminded of what God says, of what God thinks, of what God commands. And when we find our minds at crossways with God's mind, we must repent. We must metanoia. We must change our minds. And if it's necessary, we must change them again. And then change them again. And then change them again. My dad used to joke with my mom and said, I know your mind is clean because you change it so often. Kind of comparing it to a diaper. But change it, friend. It's not easy. Sometimes it hurts. But beloved, it's worth it. Listen, then said Jesus to his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he shall reward every man according to his works. Matthew 16, 24 through 27. Well, beloved, listen, the prize is life. The prize 
is life, everlasting life. And that's what the prom- that's what the Savior promises to all who side with Him. Everlasting life. And listen to me. Listen, when a Christian sins. That's what we've been talking about. When a Christian sins, they think they're seeking life. They're thinking, this is the life. I'm telling you, friend, when a Christian sins, they're thinking, this is the life. I'm really living now. This is making my life happy. This is making my life good. And I want it. But when a Christian sins, listen, Deception has occurred. Are you hearing me? When a Christian sins, deception has occurred. There has been a mistake, a mistake. For the ways of God are the ways of life. And there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of of death. Proverbs 16.25 Jesus is the wisdom of God. And when wisdom speaks, when Jesus speaks, He says, He that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. Proverbs 8.36 Listen, when a Christian persists in sin, she has been deceived. He's been blinded. When a Christian persists in sin, he's been blinded. She thinks what she's doing is for life, but it's for death. He thinks what he's doing is living it up. But where sin is crouched at the door... Death is hiding right behind it. So the take-home message is, Christian, be perpetually repenting. I know you've repented, saints. I know you've changed your mind, but you may need to do it again. And so I preach the same message that John the Baptist preached many, many years ago to you, Christian saints. Repent. And bring forth fruits, meat, answering to repentance. Listen, some of you like like something practical. (laughs) Write John, 1 John 1, 5 through 10. Write 1 John 1, 5 through 10 on a note card. And put it where you can see it every day. And make it your mantra so you can say, yes, I sin, but God help me. I repent. But better yet, better yet, listen, write 1 John 1, 5 through 10 on the tables of your mind so that no note card is needed. And the very, listen, the very act of internalizing that Scripture can be a work of repentance. 
of changing your mind, of conforming your mind to God's mind, of conforming your mind to the mind of Christ. Now finally, let me try to answer a question that might be on your mind. Because it's been on my mind. You remember that text, 1 John 5, 16? If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. And I am not saying that he should pray about that. Remember we read that a minute ago. Well, the question in my mind is this. If a so-called brother or sister sins flagrantly, vilely, repulsively, defiantly, how should we pray for her? How should we pray for him? Because in light of 1 John 5, 16, we don't want to oppose God. Right? So in light of that, how should we pray? Well, I thought about this some. Do you know what transparency is? When something is transparent, it's easy to see through. Like glass or crystal or pure water. You can see right through it. It reflects light in such a way that even when you look at it, you can see through it. Transparency. Transparency in our day is held up as a goal in politics and accounting. But often it seems to be a goal in name only because it often appears that obscuration is the true agenda. But consider transparency in prayer. Listen. Continue. Consider transparency in prayer. We may pray something with our lips, but let me tell you something, friend. God knows what's in our hearts. God knows what's in our hearts. Remember, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Hebrews 4, verse 13. Everything is naked and open before God. So listen. Prayer to the Holy Trinity is different than speech to any other person. Listen. Prayer to God is different than speech to any other person. For the Godhead knows our innermost thoughts. Nothing is hidden. It's all fully open before God. So we might as well be transparent in our praying because it's transparent to God anyway. Now, with that in your mind, please, please hear me very careful. You know what the doctrine of the impeccability of Christ is? Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, never, ever sinned. He is sinless, without sin. 
Jesus of Nazareth never sinned. And Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, prayed and He said, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. Matthew 26, verse 39. Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity, never sinned. And He prayed to the first person of the Holy Trinity, to God the Father, and He said, Here's what I want. Here's what I want. But I want what you want more. Did you see that? Did you see that? Friend, listen. It is never wrong to pray like Jesus. It's not wrong to pray like Jesus. It's okay to pray, God, save this sinning Christian. Please don't kill her. Please don't kill him. And then to pray. Nevertheless, not as I will but as Thou wilt. Not my will, but Thine be done. That's not wrong. So maybe that's another take-home message. Be transparent in your prayers. God knows anyway. He knows Brothers and sisters, listen, sin is in this world. And like a satanic roaring lion, it walks about seeking to devour. And it would fain bite the saints. And beloved, we need sharp swords of Jerusalem steel. We need blood-washed robes of Zion. We need a breastplate of righteousness and keen and sound minds. We need hearts perpetually bowed in repentance. We need the faith of our father Abraham if we're to successfully ford the Jordan and safely arrive at the new Jerusalem. Oh, God, help us. In Jesus' name, God, help us. Keep us from sin. Save us from our sins. You promised. Do it. Sin has a thousand treacherous arts to practice on the mind. With flattering looks, she tempts our hearts, but leaves a sting behind. With names of virtue, she deceives the aged and the young. And while the heedless wretch believes, she makes his fetters strong. She pleads for all the joys she brings and gives a fair pretense, but cheats the soul of heavenly things and chains it down to sense. So on a tree divinely fair grew the forbidden food. Our mother took the poison there and tainted all her blood. Sin, like a venomous disease, infects our vital blood. The only balm is sovereign grace and the physician, God.
Our beauty and our strength are fled, and we draw near to death. But Christ the Lord recalls the dead with His almighty breath. Madness by our by nature reigns within. The passions burn and rage till God's own Son with skill divine the inward fire assuage. We lick the dust. We grasp the wind and solid good despise. Such tis the folly of the mind till Jesus makes us wise. We give our souls the wounds they feel. We drink the poisonous gall and rush with fury down to hell. But heaven prevents the fall. The man possessed among the tombs cuts his own flesh and cries. He foams and raves till Jesus comes and the foul spirit flies. Please stand with me for prayer. Let's pray. Eternal Father, Thou art good beyond all thought, but I am vile, wretched, miserable, blind. My lips are ready to confess, but my heart is slow to feel, and my ways reluctant to amend. I bring my soul to Thee, break it, wound it, bend it, mold it, Unmask to me sin's deformity that I may hate it, abhor it, flee from it. My faculties have often been a weapon of revolt against thee. And as a rebel, I have misused my strength and served the foul adversary of thy kingdom. Oh, give me grace to bewail my insensate folly. Grant me to know that the way of transgressors is hard that evil paths are wretched paths, that to depart from Thee is to lose all good. I have seen the purity and beauty of Thy perfect law, the happiness of those in whose heart it reigns, the calm dignity of the walk to which it calls. Yet I daily violate its precepts. Thy loving spirit strives within me, brings me scripture warnings, speaks in startling providences and allures by secret whispers. Yet often I choose the devices and desires of my own heart to my hurt. I impiously resent, grieve and provoke thee to abandon me. Oh, all these sins I mourn, lament and for them cry, pardon Work in me more profound and abiding repentance. Oh, give me a fullness of godly grief that trembles and fears, yet ever trusts and loves, which is ever powerful and ever confident. Oh, grant that through tears of repentance, I may see more clearly the brightness and glories of thy saving cross. In Jesus' name. Amen.